0: All right, welcome back art world this is miss art world or Catherine. super excited about the show today i have a stand-in co-host lisa is traveling from texas so i have stuck in traffic podcast co well host you're the host, <laughs> I am the host. you are I'm the host of stuck in traffic samuel do you put your whole name I put my whole name. Samuel
1: Cooksey. What up, you guys? Um, As Haley, or Haley, as Katie said it, um, I am the host of Stuck in Traffic, so if you like the sound of my nasally voice, you can always uh, follow me there, Stuck in Traffic Podcast. um, Found everywhere.
0: (laughs) And we uh, have a special artist guest today, uh, Chris Truman. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. So... Chris, you were saying you, that you were getting over a cold, too. So you and Samuel can both have nasally voices yeah. together.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: more nasally than usual. Oh. Uh, is it one of those ones where it's the sinus and everything, too? Uh,
2: yeah, it was about a week ago, and now it's just the sinus and the post-nasal drip that yeah, us forever. Yeah, we must <laughs> got it at the
1: same time because it knocked me on my butt for, like, a good solid day, and then the rest of it's just kind of... Size pressure a little bit, yep. a lot of blow on my nose, travel with a Kleenex box.
0: <laughs> so, Chris, I found you on Instagram. I was looking for artists. Um, as you know, this podcast is pretty new, and we wanted to hit the ground running and find really excellent, high-caliber artists, so I just sent you a magical message, and you... Wrote back, which is great. You was sent a great. magical message, I, it was magical. <laughs> or was it
1: just a DM?
0: <laughs> it was a DM, but it was magical because it worked, and he responded um, and was like, "Of course, I'll be in your podcast," which is always super fun.
2: Yeah, I, I love Instagram for that because you can um, you can meet people online and bring them into the real world.
0: Mm-hmm. Have that one-on-one connection that you probably wouldn't get if you were just sending an email to no one so let's just dive into who you are Chris what makes you tick where did you start from where were you born just all the questions
1: oh I have a quick question I know Kate has sure. asked a whole bunch <laughs> I have a one that's just kind of go towards the Instagram you have some really big pieces there mm-hmm. is that your normal standard size of uh, your artwork
2: I, I work in a variety of sizes. I don't, I don't like to stay true to one particular size because um, you know I feel like you, you end up getting kind of locked in and, and you get familiar with that size and then it, then it's hard to move around. And so I like to jump between really big pieces and uh, much smaller work. Um, you know a lot of kind of five foot by six foot that kind of range. Um, you know I love when it's as big as my body or, or larger. okay.
1: That's what you kind of yeah. feel more, most comfortable with because they're they look really big. So where do you where do you put these giant pieces?
2: Um, you know, the largest piece that I've done in this studio um, is uh, it was a 14 foot by 9 foot uh, painting, and my ceilings here are just a, about 11 foot. Okay. So I had to paint the whole thing sideways. Oh wow! And so it was it was a little bit challenging because uh, I flipped the the canvas sideways and then I would paint on it and then I would photograph it. And um, and that way I could kind of I could see it what it would look like upright. Um, yeah, it was not the easiest uh, commission that I've done. Yeah, I bet.
0: Oh, that was a commission piece. Holy smokes, that's yeah. huge.
2: Yeah. Where yeah. did they Where did they put it? Like, was it in,
0: in a restaurant? Mansion. Yeah, or
1: like
2: a big mansion? Or? Uh, it's in a It's in a luxury condo complex um, in downtown LA. Oh, cool. Yeah, I recently did a couple commissions. Uh, you can see the. There's a a false wall here. Um, And the reason I had to do that is because for these uh, commissions, they were diptychs on aluminum um, that are now in a a new building in San Francisco. And um, and they were 11 and a half feet tall. So I thought that, this is how I found out my ceilings were not 12 feet, (laughs) Um, I thought they were. And then right before I, I got the panels in, I measured and I found out that it wouldn't fit on my walls. So I had to build the false wall that goes up into the, uh, the wood slats there to give it that extra couple inches. Okay, Damn. wow, That's pretty, these out. are
1: huge pieces.
2: Yeah, they're fun though. It's, it, I, I really like to work on, on really large paintings. and I mean, the, there's so much more you can do with them. Have you ever fallen off a ladder? No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at ladders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on <of> wood. <laughs>
0: Can we go back to my question? <laughs> yes, let's go back to your
2: question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me where you came from? <laughs> sure, sure. <So laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'll
2: go all the way back, but I, I grew up in Chico, uh, Northern California, um, and uh, I, I started painting when I was there, and in high school, and I did art in high school, um, and then went to community college uh, up in Chico, um, and then ended up transferring to the San Francisco Art Institute, where I did my undergrad. Um, and after undergrad, did some traveling around, um, and uh, ended up down here in Claremont to do my MFA.
0: What did you think of um, the San Francisco? Um,
2: it was an, it Institute. was amazing, uh, crazy. It was totally crazy and wild, but because we had we had twenty four hour access to the studios, um, and in fact, uh, it's kind of an interesting story from that time. Is that after my first semester, um, I was back in Chico uh, for Christmas break, and I got a phone call uh, from a friend, and he said, You know, turn on the news. So I, I turned on the news, and there's my apartment building burning down. Oh. oh! So it was in the midst of one of San Francisco's housing crunches, which it's always in the middle of. Um, and so I got back to school, and uh, my first night back in San Francisco, I got a hotel, and um, and from there, from there on out, I, I didn't know where I was going to live. So, um, so I just decided to sleep at the school. So for about three months, I was I was kind of somewhat homeless, uh, just sleeping at the school. And um, sometimes I'd sleep. There was a couch in the sculpture yard, and if you're if you're early enough on, you could get that. Otherwise, you know, there's this um, underneath the ramp. You know, those are, those people that have been to that school, they know the ramp. Uh, you can kind of sleep in there. And um, so I would just wake up in the morning and and just start painting. I'd go get coffee and just start painting because I had nothing else to do.
0: Oh, My gosh, well, very interesting, very bohemian.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't—they don't kick you out if you're sleeping there. Or? Well, so we're technically allowed to be there. Uh, I don't know if they still allow this, but uh, 24 hours a day. Um, so the security would—if they found you, they would move you on. You couldn't—you couldn't be sleeping there. But you would just have to kind of move and find a different place and try and sleep again. So, um, you know, technically, you know, we're allowed to be there, but, you know, just not, I don't think anybody's supposed to be living there.
0: So a lot of uh, people have asked me, um, oh, should I go to art school for my undergrad? And I say, well, wait to make sure that that's really what you want to do. If you know, you shouldn't be asking the question. So you must have known beforehand art is what I'm doing.
2: Uh, so, okay, so when I the reason I went to um, community college out of high school is that at the time my dad was a stockbroker and I was going to follow him into business and I was going to be a businessman. Um, and uh, about two years into uh, school for business, uh, doing mostly my GE, um, but then um, you know some business classes, my dad ended up deciding to go back to school to become a teacher. And so that made me think about what, what, what I was doing at the time, um, and I reconsidered and I thought, what, are, like, what am I doing? Like, This isn't going to make me happy. And so then I applied to the Samson School Institute, um, knowing I would need a scholarship to be able to attend, because I didn't have the financial backing, um, and just kind of crossed my fingers and hoped it would work out, and it, and it did. So you
1: had always done art then? Uh, yeah, more or less.
2: Yeah, I, I started doing art when I was about 14 or 15. Okay. You know, and won a bunch of awards in high school.
1: What kind of art? Was it the same kind of style, or have you changed dramatically over um, the years? I've <laughs>
2: changed like 20 times. Um, no, it was high school art. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was not particularly. I was. I always thought of myself as harder working than I was talented. At least at the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now I think I'm. You know i mean I, I don't know if it's just years and years of hard work or if you know some talent is kind of look. Well, they
1: always i just read an uh, article not to go off tangent about <laughs> where talent comes from because a lot of people they a lot of people get discouraged and they say it's especially with people at a young age you don't realize or people don't realize that they had put a whole bunch of hours in it already and they've had like, these great teachers, which gets them to feel like they're talented right off the bat. Or they had this ingrained skill. But what comes down to it, as if you're not a basketball player and six foot, as long as it's something that you can work at, then you will eventually become talented.
2: It, yeah, and I, I, I agree with that. And I, I think, like, I have a work ethic. <laughs> that That's one thing that, um, you know, talented or not, uh, I work my tail off. Mm-hmm. Always, always have for the most part.
0: Would you say that you're in the studio early and work until late? Is that where your work ethic comes from, or?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, back to the Samson Scott Institute days. Um, you know, I, I just I didn't really have anywhere else to be or to go, um, and so I just I painted all day long. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd stop for lunch and everything else. But, um, uh, yeah, so I spent a ton of time painting then. And then, um, you know, I, I, again, in like grad school, I was one of those that was pr- pretty early to arrive and, and late to leave. Um, and and now, you know, my hour's a little bit more regular, so I have I've kind of designated studio times. Um, and so I'm, I'm in the studio every day, for the mm-hmm. most part, unless I'm, unless I'm in L.A. doing meetings or shows or something else
0: why did you decide to go to grad school
2: well in between undergrad and grad school um i was making art but i didn't have a lot of access to the art world uh and part of it was because the right after i graduated from the samson Scott institute i was i was pretty burnt out at the time um and i i moved to hawaii um with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife um and we lived in hawaii for a year uh, and it was, a, it was a great time to just relax and like detox um, but I didn't, I didn't realize that during that time I was, I was losing my connections so mm. when I moved back to the Bay Area um, I had a really hard time getting into the art scene at that time because I had lost, you know, a lot of my friends had moved to LA or, or I kind of lost touch with people some of them went to New York, some of them went off to grad schools um, so I kind of had to do it on my own And, you know, I wasn't particularly good at the networking part of it at that time. Do you feel that you're better now at networking? Uh, Yeah, I I think naturally, um, you know, if you go to grad school, that's one of the benefits is that you graduate with a group of people that you can uh, do shows with, that you can go to shows with, that you, um, you know, you have a little bit of a natural network built in. Um, So when I got out of grad school, I at least had a starting point. Um, And then, you know, over the years, I've... I've met tons and tons and tons of people. Um, and then also, the last couple of years, Instagram's been really, really fantastic. Uh, you know, because I've met people all over the, the world and country uh, through Instagram. If you can give like
1: one or two tips on how to network, how would you, like for an upcoming artist,
2: what would you tell them? That's a great question. Well, I, well, I think a lot of times people make the mistake of like, you know, like one time I was watching a gallery, uh, I, I, I was showing at this gallery in San Diego, and I was sitting at the desk, and the dealer had gone to get lunch. And, um, and I had this young artist come in and, you know, throw down this portfolio and wanted me to look at it right then and there. And, um, and it kind of being on the other side of it, I, I got to see that uh, that was definitely not the way to go about it. You know, so I would say, you know, if you're interested in showing in a space, uh, first find out you know is it appropriate for you do they show artists of your career level uh, your price level your stature um, and uh, and do they show the type of work that you make you know so figure out um, if it's appropriate and then and then go to the shows you know if, if you express interest in what they're doing and you go to the shows and the and your face is familiar you're a lot more likely to get them to actually take a look um, you know, because most of the time they want to show people that are involved in what they're doing as well. Um, so I, I think that that was a, a big thing is just showing up. You know, going to the galleries, going to the shows yourself. You know, getting in the circuit. Uh, you know, meeting the people that are that are out there doing it. And then pretty soon, you know, now it's like I go to shows and, and most of the time I know anywhere from ten to fifty people, depending on the, the particular show. Um, and so they make a lot of introductions for you. You know, you meet dealers that way. You'll meet, you meet. know, I got most of my teaching gigs when I was teaching um, that way. Do you like teaching? I, I do. I've I've cut down on my teaching. Um, I'm teaching one class at uh, at Chaffey College now, um, and I like keeping a foot in teaching because I, I feel like it, it forces me to to talk to people who are not art related in a in a understandable way and, and how to kind of articulate what it is I'm doing how to talk about work um, I think it keeps you on your toes because they ask all kinds of questions <laughs> um and uh you know and I and I, I don't know I, I I had a lot of great teachers in 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 my development and so I I feel good about um helping young students out as well
0: so because we're on a podcast uh <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting in your studio Um, and your work is on the walls and it's big and it's colorful it's abstract Um, can you talk a little bit about your the concept behind your work
2: okay so the work in my studio is um, is on Yupo paper which is a a synthetic paper um, which has a really slick surface and I'm working with acrylic and acrylic spray paint and I'm Putting paint on and taking it off, and, and building up lots of layers uh, through this process. So the, the paintings appear to be physical, um, but to the touch, there there there's almost no texture. So they're they're what I've been calling uh, dematerialized paintings. They're in abstraction. Uh, one of the one of the early kind of concepts that they were working with is um, is the idea of of an object that is not a an illusion to another space it is it's there it's in the space with you it shares the same physicality with you and um and and you have a relationship with the viewer um and i'm thinking about the way that we live uh half on our phones and half in the digital world and half half sort of virtually uh managing multiple things at once and so i feel like to a certain extent um you know in abstraction it should reflect that Uh, and so these paintings have a kind of Photographic, dematerialized quality to them um, that may or may not come through on on social media and Instagram, but uh, in person, um, I think that uh, you can really get a sense for um, you know so what's there and what's not there.
0: That's fascinating that um, you talk about the texture not being there because I assume that there would be a lot of texture when I was looking at your Instagram, but yeah, me too. Now that you say that, I'm like, oh. He's right.
2: Yeah, I, I've, I've gone. I mean, part of the, the process that I've developed is, um, you know, it's, it, it involves a lot of squeegeeing and washing off, and sometimes uh, even acetone to, to kind of eat back into the painting. Um, and so it's it's always this process of you know adding paint on and taking it off, and adding paint on, and taking it off, and um, it, you know, and what I'm left with is this density of layers uh, with these. Negative spaces and translucences that um, that you know appear to be really built up, but um, you know, but when you look at it, it's just not it's not there in the same way that you expect.
0: And they've got to be pretty light, then. Mm-hmm. Do you have to coat um, it with some kind of thing that protects the paint from coming off? Uh, no, not in
2: particular. Um, so the, the UPO isn't permeable to, to water. So, like most of the time, if you work on paper, you're worried about um, uh, environmental conditions changing and the water with the um, moisture in the air uh, warping the paper. Uh, whereas with the plastic, you don't, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a plastic or a PVC, I'm not exactly sure what the, the material is made out of, but I don't have to worry about that. Um, but what I do for exhibition, uh, is I have them mounted to um, either a Sintra or a dye bond. Uh, Sintra is a PVC sheet, so kind of another plastic product, um, and that allows it to be rigid um, and, um, and kind of cleans up the edges. And then oftentimes I'll frame it as well. Do you have
1: like a go-to frame that you normally like to use, or
2: you know, I I so my. I just opened the show in in LA at Edward Cella, um, and um, and what I did was I did white kind of thin kind of flow frames, so um, so they're they're fairly uh, discreet. Um, they add a little bit more physicality uh, because uh, without the frames, they're sort of a floating face, um, much like you'd see a photograph, um, and so the the frames will kind of give a little bit more bulk and you know kind of clean it, clean up the edges a little bit.
1: Okay.
0: Is it the, and um, it might be all of it, but is it the color and the gesture that attracts you to ab- making abstract work?
2: I think it's the openness. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, with abstract work it's really exciting because there's, you know, there are rules, but there's, there's not a lot of rules and not a lot of limitations. You know, it's just, you know, you end up sort of creating your own set of rules and what works for for your particular body of work. Um, And and then I think it has a lot to do with what the interaction with the viewer is. Um, So I create a piece, and I feel like I'm not in control of the viewer's experience of the art. You know, I I can't tell you if they've had a childhood issue with a particular color or, you know, a form, or they they see something in it. Um, You know, I can't control those aspects. Uh, But what I can control... Is setting up certain sort of triggers for creating uh, meaning and dialogue with the with the viewer, um, and so I th- that's what I think is exciting is creating something that's that's open. Um, you know, I obviously have my content and my my concepts that I that I think are apparent, but um, but I can tell you that um, it's really diverse in what people think about the work.
0: Do you ever get like and I'm playing um, devil's advocate because I get this with my work too. But do you ever get people who are just like, "Well, I don't get it. I don't get abstract."
2: Yeah, I, well, somebody asked me, "What does it mean?" Uh, the other day, and um, it, you know, and, and I think the the problem with that question is that um, is I don't. It, it means different things to different people depending on their degree of exposure, and uh, you know, I mean, if somebody hasn't seen it, any abstract art. You know, which I find difficult to believe. But, uh, <laughs> but if they haven't, then it's a totally different thing. And if you took that abstract painting to a different place or a different time, you know, you took it out to the jungle, it's going to mean one thing. You're going to take it to an urban environment. It'll mean something different. So the idea of a static meaning doesn't, it just doesn't really make sense to me. You know, and so I think that it has to do with the, um, with the context uh, and, the, and the, con- the, the time in which it's been made. Um, you know, if you take these things into the into the future, it maybe mean something different or the past. You know, so um, so I can't tell a viewer what to, to think about it, you know, or what to uh, what what sort of meaning to derive from from the paintings. Um, but I can explain the process, and I can explain some of the things that I'm thinking about it, and how how I relate my work to what's happening in the in the world.
0: I feel like um, when you have a very uh, direct meaning that you want to have the viewer take away from, it makes boring artwork because it's so uh, in your face, so like a one-liner. So I like the idea that it's open and and how you spoke about triggers, like you're using triggers with color and probably the shape of how you're putting on colors onto the pieces that I think is really interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think of it as like math. You know, it, it, it's not, it's, some people think of art as, as sort of more mathematically where it's like if you put this image next to this image then you get this answer, you get this, uh, it creates this sort of, this meaning. Um, and I don't really think of it that way. And even if you do completely representational narrative painting, The idea that you're gonna get a group of people to think the same thing and to understand it in the same way is, um, you know, I think wrong (laughs) and maybe naive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's a piece in my show right now um, at Edward Cella that it's different than all the others, and maybe I like it because it's different. But it's, um, you know, I work with a lot of color, uh, and I and I think color is a really rich. characteristic to use and and this particular piece is mostly uh blacks whites kind of grays and then it has these little tiny bits of uh it's kind of plum and kind of violet colors and um and so it's it's pretty atypical for me but um it's interesting when i was at the the opening the other night people were coming up to me and, and it was like that piece was like stopping them um, and I don't know if it was just because it was different than the others or if it was uh, just, you know, that piece in particular. But, um, but yeah, I think that that's currently my favorite piece. What
1: made you go with, like, the different types of colors then? Because, it? It, it, like, as you said, like, on your Instagram and everything, everything is very vibrant.
2: Um, you know, I, I, it, it's same with the size uh, question. Uh, I, I like to vary the color uh, and the color system that I'm using. Because, um, again, I I think that an artist can be trapped uh, if you use too consistently, like a size or a color, or, or, um, you know, it starts to feel formulaic, you know, and I think that that takes some of the the energy out of it and takes some of the, um, you know, the creativity out of it. So by changing the color, you know, introducing a color that's really difficult for you to work with, um, I think it forces you out of... um, Comfort zones and and just kind of regurgitating the same stuff.
1: Did you ever have an art piece that you were working on that you just struggled with finishing or just kind of like enjoying with that kind of art piece?
2: Yeah. It, it, so the the process of making a painting physically goes pretty quickly. You know, because of the nature. Yeah. Sometimes I I do a bunch of strokes on the UPO. Um, and I have a certain like say like three minutes uh, to um, work around it with with spray paint um, you know and maybe water some down and then I need to squeegee it before before it dries too much, otherwise I won't be able to get most of the paint off. Uh, and so so in that amount of time, a little bit of the paint will dry and stick and remain part of the painting and then a lot of it will be removed. And so this time component, uh, it forces me to work quickly when I'm making the painting, when I'm physically making it. Uh, but then after I do that, then I sit and I look at it and I think about the next step. And there have been times when a painting has gone, you know, almost a month, um, where it's it's not quite done, but I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking about it, and almost every day, you know, and a lot of times I'm working on other work in the, in the meantime, but eventually I either figure it out or, it, or I kill it and, and that happens too
0: <laughs> when you kill it do you just roll it up and like stick it in a corner or do you throw it away in the trash <laughs>
1: You know, so some... if you throw it away in the trash, I'm gonna hang out next to your downstairs for a while. Just wait <laughs> for like a well, I, I usually cut it up before I throw it away. Sorry, <laughs> but um, piece it back together yeah. like a jigsaw puzzle.
2: <laughs> uh, but sometimes, sometimes what I'll do, it, oftentimes there's like, you know, there will be like a piece of a painting that I that I really like, and then sometimes I'll cut that out, um, and sometimes that turns into a piece of in and of itself, you know, with a little bit more work, um, you know, or or I'll just. I'll just toss it, you know. At some point, you just kind of decide I'm going to cut my losses on this and just say it's done. You know, I I'm pretty stubborn, though, to be honest. <laughs> I don't like to do that.
0: So you have um, a show that just opened this past weekend. Uh, do you want to do a shameless plug for your show? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. The, we love shameless plugs.
2: The show is called uh, After Image, and it, it has the. In- word in parentheses um, and you can you can relate that back to what I was saying about the uh, the physical properties of the painting mimicking photographic or or digital imagery Um, and it's a a solo exhibition at Edward Cella gallery in uh, Culver City uh, and it opened um, March 23rd and it will be up till May 4th
0: perfect and you have some upcoming shows so you're just a busy guy.
2: I am a I am a busy guy. Uh, the work that you're currently seeing, um, you know, is uh, is work for uh, my show in Brisbane, Australia, um, which is at TW Fine Art, um, and that is going to happen in June. So I'm um, I'm about two thirds done with the work. So you're flying out
1: to Australia as well. Yep. How long do you are you going to stay out there?
2: I usually stay about a week. Okay. Um, you know, I. I it's hard at this point to get away for longer than that um you know with the kids and family but um but i think it's really especially if you have a solo show i think it's really important to be there and meet people and you know at this point this is my third trip to australia third solo show um so you know there are people that i've met in previous uh, shows and previous trips that i'd like to say hello to and and meet um and the gallery is opening a new space as well, which is going to be really nice because uh, the space is apparently quite a bit bigger, and um, and it looks to be pretty nice.
0: And you ship all your artwork? Yeah, over one there? Ad-
2: yeah. One advantage of the UPO is that um, is that I can roll it to ship it. That's nice. <laughs> so I sent a whole show last year to Australia. I guess it was two years ago, um, and it cost me a couple hundred dollars. Oh, It's nice. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then a little bit later in the year, I have a show in Houston uh, at Nancy Littlejohn.
0: Wonderful. So you're a full-time artist. You make a living doing your artwork. Yep. Did you have a day job and then you took the plunge and decided to be a full-time artist? Or how did that come about?
2: I, well, at one point I was teaching... At two schools, you know, at the time it was Fullerton College and Santa Ana College, um, and I was teaching altogether three classes as an adjunct. And even at that time, the majority of my income was coming from art sales. Um, and so at some point, I just thought, you know, if I dedicate my time to making more work and, and you know, more time to promoting the work and everything else, um, I think it could make up for the loss of income from teaching. Um, and so a couple years ago I just I took the leap and decided to go you know more or less full time I still teach the one class at Chafee, but um, and uh, you paid off
0: that's amazing I think that's great
1: yeah was it nerve wracking to take that plunge or did you feel were you pretty confident about it
2: you know I I mean now that I have I have three, three kids so um, so supporting a family with three kids uh, yeah it was a little nerve wracking um, but I also, I also think, I mean, I was losing so much time in commuting and, you know, an adjuncting, you don't, like, you don't have benefits and you don't make much, you know, money. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a great thing to do if you love it, and, and you know, I love meeting the students and I love mentoring some of my students, um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think financially it was making any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever
1: thought about maybe setting up um, teaching on the sides in your own art studio where you don't have to necessarily go anywhere but you have like they come for an hour
2: well I, I, not, I haven't done that for money but I have I've taken in uh, a number of um, uh, uh, interns and, uh, and former students who, who wanted to continue to work with me and they'll come and help out in the studio um, and in fact in January I had an intern from Paris who met me on Instagram and asked if he could come out and help me in the studio as part of his school program. And so I said, yeah, why not? And uh, so he was here for about a month, and, um, and, you know, I just had him help me, you know, move paintings around. And he, he repainted this wall. It <laughs> doesn't look painted anymore. But, and then
1: you just kind of, was he able to sit here and watch you work? Too,
2: or yeah, yeah, and he would. I mean, he would clean brushes, or he would hand me things if I was on a ladder, and um, you know, he helped me wrap up um, you know pieces to go for shows and drop off pieces, and it, you know, he, he saw me communicate with some of the galleries. So I, I think it was a really good internship for him because um, there's a disconnect between what you learn in, in school and academia. And what it's actually like to live and work as an artist, Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that most people get a a true idea of what it's like on a day-to-day basis. Um, And so, I mean, he saw it; he he saw it all—you know, the good and the bad.
0: You think um, that you studying business early on kind of helped you develop the business side of art that they don't teach in schools?
2: Uh, Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I think I'm. I think. I have kind of a knack for business personally you know and I, it's an interest of mine and, um, and so I, I think that that helps uh, you know but I, yeah there are probably some things that I picked up um, you know it, just in that process that um, you know that help along the way I mean a lot of artists think that you can you can just kind of go in your studio make the work and you know put it out in the world and people will buy it um, and it, it doesn't really work that way <laughs>
0: Um, so you have gallery gallery representation which when you talk to most artists like that's the goal Um, how uh, do you think personally like that's the goal or um, you think that there's more to I'm losing my question as I talk (laughs) but um, I I wanted to ask you about that because every artist I talk to is like I need to find a gallery. I need to find a gallery. I, th- I think
2: it's a little misguided, to mm. be honest. And I think the reason why is that the way I see galleries is that they're kind of like a megaphone. You know, right? You know, if you're saying something they can magnify it. They can you know, if you've got you know, good work they can help you to sell it. But but a lot of artists think if I get a gallery then they will take me to art fairs and they will sell my work and they will provide me with an income and and some of that is true, but, um, but I also find that you're leading a lot of it, so, um, so you, know, you still need to be out there networking and making connections and you know, talking to curators. and There's a lot of stuff that, that you do, and if you're doing that, they can help to, to make it more successful, right? But they're not the be-all, end-all. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just go, here's my work, you know, I'll see you in six months. You know, then oftentimes what happens is a gallery will have a number of artists that are really active, that are the ones that um, that they end up. I mean, you know, they're a business and and they want to they want to stay in business. So the artists that are doing really well and the artists that are that are selling a lot end up getting more activity than than you will if you if you're not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so if you're at the bottom of gallery, um, then. You know, I mean, it looks good for your reputation, I suppose, but, um, but you're not going to get the payoff uh, that you would if you were um, involved and if you were doing a lot of it on your own. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's great advice to be out there working hard and networking and mm-hmm. going to places. I know it's hard for artists because you just want to be in your studio most of the time, but you have to do the art hustle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, do you, as of right now, like an artist coming up? Do you think it's more important for them to focus more on the social media aspect for marketing, or is it more important to go out and do more
2: face-to-face networking? Well, I think I mean face-to-face is more valuable. You know, just in like a like if you're gonna if you're gonna compare the two, I think I think there's more value in the face-to-face. Uh, but that being said, I think the social media and the online presence can lead to in you know face to face. And so in a lot of cases it has. Um, several of the galleries that I've uh, recently started working with um, came about through social media. Um, so but it, it didn't stop there. You know we ended up meeting, we ended up having lunch and talking and um, you know and realizing that uh, you know it seems like a good, working relationship and, and we can we can kind of take things further and do shows and, um, but I I do think that it's important to establish a social media um, you know
1: outreach and then on the social media uh, question to dive in a little more deep what platform as of right now do you find that works the best for you Instagram And is it just because it's more, because it's art, and you could showcase your art a lot more than having a, a witty thing that you had to add to
2: it? Uh, Well, yeah, I think I mean it's it's a visual platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, So people, what happens is you know we go on Instagram, and um, and and we flick through, and we kind of just stop at what catches our eye, and um, so I think that uh, I mean in particular what I do, painting, uh, is uniquely suited for that because it's eye-catching and and I mean there are still things that I think you can do you know like I think people oftentimes when they see like say a painting that's cropped to the edges they can't quite tell what they're looking at you know like how big is it or what is it I'm looking at so I think the best situation is to take a photograph that shows the artwork clearly but also shows the scale and the environment and You know, I mean, sometimes a person in it, uh, things like that, so that the the viewer can see what they're actually looking at. And uh, so, yeah, so I think Instagram is is the by far the best at the moment. Something else come along.
1: Yeah, everything's always changing. And then when you are putting it up there, are you more focused on? I guess doing. Is there like a certain hashtags that you use for that marketing, or is it
2: just? Going the image up there. Well, at the beginning, I, I was I was kind of against hashtags because I was, you know, I kind of felt I don't know felt commercial <laughs> in a sense, you know, uh, and um, and then uh, you know I, I follow a couple of accounts that uh, were using hashtags and I talked to a couple of people and and they said no you need to use hashtags and and now I'm glad that I that I did because really what you're after is is you're you're looking for people's attention, right? And in order to win people's attention, you have to put something out there that's compelling. But then you also have to allow the the algorithm, the overall structure of the platform to, to, you know, find your stuff and to put it in front of people. And so if you're not playing into the algorithm and playing into the kind of popularity contest of it, then you're at a disadvantage unless people are going to see your work. Um, And even people that you know and people that follow you. Um, I find that, you know, uh, most of my posts um, are only seen by about a third of my own audience. Uh, so, you know, even if you have, I think I have like 18,000 followers now, it, that means that probably five or 6,000 will see the post, you know, of my followers. And then there's the potential to reach a lot, you know, more of a, a broad audience uh, through hashtags and through kind of the uh, interconnectedness of the uh, algorithmic kind of platform. Cool.
0: Are uh, any of your kids um, artistic?
2: Uh, So, I mean, my daughter Luca, she's she's six now, and um, and she's she's very creative and very artistic. Um, You know, my wife and I joke that uh, we might not encourage anybody to be (laughs) to be an artist, (laughs) but uh, but certainly if that's what she wants to do, I would, you know, I would help her out in any way I could. But um,
0: is your uh, wife artistic?
2: At all, she's very creative, uh, but she's a social worker.
0: Okay. So
2: uh, she, yeah, she she doesn't she does creative uh, endeavors for for fun and for you know entertainment and uh, self gratification, but not professionally. Mm-hmm. So did she, uh, did you guys meet in school? Then uh, we actually, so we we were high school sweethearts. Um, Aww. We're back <laughs> in Chicago, <laughs> and um, and yeah, we and then I went off to, to college, and, and we kind of stayed in touch and and then after college we ended up moving to Hawaii together and then back to the bay area and traveled together and um, and then we ended up down here because of, of grad school okay and uh, so that's when we got married and
0: that's the sweet rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> i like that i think we're ready to move on to your artist highlight
2: Sure. Um, so the artist that I was thinking about uh, is, a, is a former professor of mine, uh, Michael Um And the reason that I was I w- I've been thinking about him lately is um, is my own work deals with this this kind of uh, dematerialization. You know, I, I mentioned earlier uh, this lack of physicality, and and he's the he's almost the exact opposite. He makes these really juicy, lush, thick gallons of paint. Uh, vivid colors, lots of um, kind of this almost celebratory uh, motion in the paintings. Um, and they're, and they're, they're playful, and they're um, you know, they're kind of, there's this kind of tongue-in-cheek you know, serious but not serious uh, quality to them. Um, and he has a, an amazing sense of humor uh, that I think gets embedded into the work as well. Um, and so it, they're, they're, they're like mine in, in the sense of the energy and the color uh, they're they're unlike mine in the sheer volume of paint and um, the kind of velocity uh, and, uh, and physicality of them.
0: And he was your professor at?
2: At Claremont. Claremont, okay.
0: Did he like your work?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I think he likes it better now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I mean, he's always been supportive uh, but, um, you know, when you're in the grad school process it, it, you know, in, in one sense I, I, I feel like I feel like it ends up being um, like a collaboration between you and your professors, you know, the work does. Uh, because you're constantly taking in all this information and feedback and regurgitating it fairly quickly. And so it takes a couple of years out of grad school to just kind of, you know, shake that out of, your, out of your head and start making your own work and really push and develop and, you know, come up with something that's more distinctly yours.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you still in contact with him now?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we had lunch the other day, and he came to my show to check oh, it out. Nice. Um, so, yeah, he's he's been a, a great friend and, and uh, um, advocate for my work now.
0: Wonderful. We will put his uh, Instagram on our Instagram, but he only has a couple posts, so we will also put his website on there so that you can check out um, this. You said Michael?
1: Michael Reesnader.
0: All right. Art Is it
1: news. news time.
0: News time. News time. You know, I really want a website where it's just like crazy art news. Like every time I'm looking for an article, I want something like an artist burned down their studio to create new work and just ridiculous. But I can't find anything like that. You want that.
1: crazy art news? I want. Crazy I think art you news. just have to talk to artists. <sighs> Maybe. The more artists to talk to, you just more make just your own news. I'm just going to create artists. my
0: own, like, ridiculous stories that aren't really art just news. Just don't start burning
1: down artists. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know why we've got to burn stuff.
0: <laughs> okay, no burning stuff. So, uh, the art news that I have, and every time I start trying to read out loud, it turns bad. But I will do my <laughs> best. So, I found this article. Every year, they come out with the museums that are doing the best and usually it depends on their attendance, so the number of people that visit their shows. And the London's um, National Gallery, National Portrait Gallery director, was talking about how it shouldn't be just based on numbers because his job as a gallery director is to not only show really popular pieces that will bring in a lot of people, but also to show contemporary work that will bring in more of a diverse audience. And so I think, so when I read the uh, title of this, I was kind of unsure about, well, to me, like numbers matter because it shows you being successful, but then he makes a really good point about how bringing in a a diverse audience that may not bring in the same amount of numbers is really important to a museum.
1: It, to me it sounds like uh, someone that's not first place. When, <laughs> when you're number one, you care about the uh,
2: that's what bringing I'm people in.
0: To reading <laughs> this article, I was like, okay. <laughs> I
2: also think that it's really important in helping to establish, uh, you know, like let's say an up-and-coming artist. Um, presence, um, you know, a lot of times they have to start somewhere. So, uh, you know, a good museum show of somebody who's been working for a long time and you know hasn't gotten that recognition can help them to get the recognition that they, they need as well. So I, I think that there's a, a service to the artist, but also a service to the overall culture and community.
0: I think especially with uh, women who have always kind of struggled to get into museums and people um, that are underrepresented, like the African-American women painters. Like, it's always been a struggle to get them to have museum shows. So if museums take a portion of their exhibit calendar to dedicate to those groups, I think that's really important. And hopefully that would bring in a different audience that maybe wouldn't necessarily always come to a uh, muse- uh, exhibit of um Jeff Koons or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Which um, museum right now is number one? Oh, I don't know. Because are they... Not
0: the National <laughs> <laughs> London uh, Portrait Gallery. <laughs>
1: because is, is the article also saying that the museum that's number one isn't showcasing different type of artist?
0: That is very interesting. I don't know. I'll have to get, get back to you on that.
1: I wanted more information from this article.
0: <laughs> I, I failed. <laughs> this is why I need to give you the uh, news article way ahead of time so that you can just give me all your
1: Yeah, questions. but then I just have more questions and ask you still. It's probably not in that article.
0: I, no, it wasn't.
1: Because it would be really interesting thing. to know if the the best museum right now is showcasing a whole bunch of different, unique art.
0: Well, and they were saying that... Because of Facebook Live and Instagram, there's a different audience that maybe can't physically come to the museum, but they're also viewing exhibits that they hadn't seen before. And so how do you bring in those numbers to count or measure the success?
1: So you need a Kardashian to come to your museum to
0: Beyonce. Face, uh,
1: Facebook <laughs> Live it?
0: Yeah. One thing
2: that I think is interesting that some of the smaller institutions are doing is that... Um, you know, I noticed it, the, with this with the kind of rebranding of the craft the and folk art museum is the um, is that they tend to show multiple shows and one of the shows has to do with the younger kind of more social media hip audience so um, so when I was there uh, one of the artists uh, you, you know had a, a huge Instagram following and as a result um, it was a really diverse crowd you know so there were all kinds of um, all kinds of young people there, uh, you know, and then the, the uh, shows on the top two floors were a little bit more traditional in their, in the way that they had set it up. Okay.
0: I think, and I, I understand that galleries and museums, there's a risk involved taking the new young Instagram person because you don't know if their popularity will last or stay on the test of time. But um, bringing in that kind of diverse... Younger Instagram social media group is super important.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it, it, I mean a lot of ways too. It's about it's about attention. You know, where are people paying attention? And uh, right now, I think a lot of people's attention is just on their phones. Mm-hmm. So if, if you can find them there, then uh, you can you can gain access to their attention.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's like very wise. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Chris. Absolutely, oh, it's been fun. how you find you if y- they're looking for you?
2: Uh, well, so on Instagram, it's uh, Truman Chris, which is a, a T-R-U-E-M-A-N-C-H-R-I-S That's uh, my Instagram. Otherwise, my website, uh, christruman.com. I um, mean, those are probably the best places. Mm-hmm. Um, in galleries, uh, Edward Chella in L.A., mm-hmm. Nancy Little, John mm-hmm. in Houston, T W fine art in australia a couple of other galleries yeah if you're
0: still. in australia <laughs> check it <Yeah>. show out
2: <laughs> and
1: then do your plug one more time that the show's going on right now
2: uh so the show that's currently up uh, is at edward Chella gallery in culver city um and it will be up through may 4th
1: and is there a certain time that you'll be there in case they wanted to meet you or see i'm gonna
2: be dipping i'm gonna be dipping out i mean it, t- send me a message uh if, if somebody wants to check it out um uh, I'm going to be dipping in and out throughout the uh, six weeks of the show. Um, I don't have any uh, designated times at this time, but I'll, I'll probably be there close to weekly. Oh, all yeah. right,
0: cool. Nice. Thank you so much. Absolutely, this was fantastic. Learned a lot about abstract art. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Samuel. Of uh, can you do your uh, plug?
1: You all my plugs. I don't just want your guilty play? plug. <laughs> My guilty do all, No,
0: do all your plugs.
1: All right. Um, you can always catch me at stuckintrafficpodcast.com. Uh, it is nothing like this. So if you're into it's more definitely of definitely
0: not like this at all.
1: <laughs> into like crazy stories because we do... We like to take up-and-coming comedians or um, other people. Or
0: dancers. <laughs>
1: dancers. We've just artists. I, I've had a couple it's a artists. But a little
0: bit more... Uh, it, uh it's more it's raunchy it it's is definitely more, more raunchy. raunchy i wasn't gonna say we, uh, it uh you said
1: it we talk about dating um a lot of times i do ask the up and coming people a couple questions and that just turns into me talking about myself um <laughs> <laughs> like normal and then of course we do a, a drink review at, at the new drink review every day we talk about uh really depressing news articles and then we wrap it up, and then uh, of course you can always catch my uh, fantasy books, Haley and the Berserker King, and then uh, book two just came out. Part one, Haley and the Cat King, and then um, nope, because I was going to do one more plug because I'm doing a book signing this I weekend. But a book signing! It's not going to be out in time, is it?
0: When is your book signing? Saturday. Yes. This will third. definitely be Kay.
1: out. If you're listening to this. <laughs> and uh you're in the palmdale or lancaster area i am doing a book signing at the bookstore that's on lancaster boulevard march 30th so saturday uh from 12 to 4 i will be there and then um the writer of 700 gentlemen will also be there as well signing books and doing all that stuff all so that good stuff is that what
0: called The Bookstore?
1: no I just couldn't remember the actual <laughs> name of it I blanked I wasn't ready to do that plug <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright we'll post that on Instagram too as always you can catch us on our Instagram at ArtWorldPodcast. Uh, we also have theartworldpodcast.com uh, don't forget to write a review and mash that five star button as Lisa would say
1: little book bug there you go (laughs) (laughs) on Lancaster Boulevard
0: all right thank you everyone bye you guys can say bye too bye
1: Bye.